what fitting songs to get us focused on this topic of the forgiveness of God. Thank you, Mitchell, for leading us in those. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I hope you'll be turning them to Psalm 32. We'll be in Psalm 32 this morning. It's always a blessing to come together on the first day of the week to worship. We get to sing to God together. We pray together. We learn from God's word together. And we encourage one another as we spend our time together. It's a good day. And every week I leave strengthened because of our great God and because of you. So I look forward to Sunday each week as, one of, as the best day of the week. And there's a specific blessing about Sunday that I want to talk about today. Because all of us share the same problem. We all have a sin problem. Each of us are aware that we have fallen short of the glory of God. We face temptations and we deal with struggles. And we are often overwhelmed with what is going on in our lives. And when we come together on Sunday, there is this great blessing that we find. That we are reminded that we have been forgiven. That we serve a God of grace. Now there are reminders that we can find throughout the week as we spend time in our Bibles. But I think especially on Sunday... When we come together in worship, we can find that reminder that God has done so much for us. And so, as we're in our Bibles in Psalm 32 this morning, David writes a psalm where he shares his joy of finding the forgiveness of God. So we'll be in Psalm 32 today if you have your Bibles. So let's read our psalm together, see it as a whole, and then we'll talk about it in its parts and talk about how we can greater appreciate our great grace of our God. So Psalm 31 Psalm 32, starting in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all you upright in heart. What a beautiful psalm David has written. He finds himself just looking at God and overwhelmed at what God has done for him. And I hope we can share in that joy today when we, we approach this psalm. And the first thing that we see in this psalm is the burden of unconfessed sin. That burden of unconfessed sin has overwhelmed David. And that's verses 3 and 4. But first we see in verses 1 and 2 almost a heading for the psalm. How blessed is the man who has been forgiven. David sees the same need that we see when we come here every week. When we wake up and we look in the mirror, he sees his sin. He knows that he has been separated from God, and he knows that he needs to be reconciled. That God's forgiveness is something he sorely needs. Sin has a grip on each of us. 
And we have no greater need than to see that relationship with God mended. You know, David knows how different a life is in sin versus a life of redemption. We have other psalms like Psalm 51, which are written specifically about his sin with Bathsheba and how that has greatly impacted his life. And now Psalm 32 doesn't tell us that it's about that same sin, but I still think it's helpful for us to see the most dramatic sin of David's life, to see David being in sin and out of sin and how it changes the way he looks at his life, how he's impacted by that. And so if you're uh, wanting to read it later, we're just going to tell the story. It's in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. But David's sin with Bathsheba is important for understanding his relationship with forgiveness and understanding who he is in sin. So let's get this example of David's sin in front of us. You'll remember Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah, one of David's generals. And while Uriah was away at war, David saw Bathsheba and took her for himself and got her pregnant. And so David had already committed a sin. It was a heinous act that he had done, taking someone who he knew and respected and was loyal to him, taking his wife for his own. And so David tries to hide what he has done. David tries to bring Uriah home, to make Uriah think that maybe it could have been him that gotten his wife pregnant. But Uriah was a man of honor. He knew that he needed to be on the battlefield with his men while the battle was still going, so he wouldn't go home. And so David has to go to plan B, where he sends Uriah back into the battle and commands the armies to abandon him on the front lines, leave him so that he may die in battle. Truly, David has done despicable things to hide his sin here against the Lord. And so David knew what it was like to sin. Because when Uriah had been killed, David took Bathsheba as his wife. He had done so much to try and meet his desire. And he had avoided what God had wanted for him. And so David knows what it's like to sin, and he knows what it's like to take great lengths to hide his sin. But then David realized his sin with the help of Nathan, the prophet. Nathan comes to help and put David back on the right track. And he does this by sharing a parable with him. And when he tells the parable, David hears the plight of the innocent man who had his one sheep taken away, and he is enraged. And so Nathan turns the tables on him and says, You are the man. And David saw his sin. He saw that he had made mistakes. He saw that he was wrong with God. 2 Samuel chapter 12 says this, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of the house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. David mourns over the consequences of his sin and mourns of the separation he has with God for a week. He does not eat. He does not lift himself up. He does not take care of himself. David sees his sin. And when the end of the week comes and the child dies, here's what David does. David gets up, he washes himself off, and he goes and he worships God. He hasn't eaten in a week. He doesn't go and eat first. 
he goes and he makes his relationship with God right first. He knows what is most important here. And then after that, he can go and eat and he worships his Lord. David takes his relationship with God very seriously. I told that very quickly for us just to see that, that he has been there. He has seen what it is like to be separated from God. And here, in this psalm, he tells us the joys of being reconciled, of the joys of being back with a God who loves him. So David writes about how much of a blessing it is to be forgiven. So he starts this psalm with the acknowledgement of the blessing that God wants us to live this way. Notice what it says. Forgiven, covered, no iniquity, no deceit. That's verses 1 and 2. That's the description of the blessed man. That's what God's goal is for us, that we might be looking like that. David knew how much it meant to have his guilt removed, to be forgiven by God, to be redeemed. But David also knows how hard it is to have unanswered sin. And that's verses 3 and 4. He describes it as dying of thirst. My bones wasted away. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. You know, I think dying of thirst is a great description of guilt. Don't you think? It's this idea of it just, you cannot feel any strength. That has sapped the strength away from you. You feel weak because you are feeling guilty. Sin is a great burden. We can't take it lightly because it causes pain on us and pain on our great God. Guilt is uncomfortable. It's not easy. And guilt can grow. Guilt is one of those things that can quickly consume us if we don't answer it. Have you ever felt guilty? I think that's something we can all say yes. We have had guilt in our lives. Guilt is something each of us deal with. We struggle with it. But in another way, guilt is a blessing. It's something God gave us so that we can realize we need to change, that we need to turn around and come back to Him. We need to make things right. So there's two ways of looking at guilt here for us. But I think part of the reason that we struggle with guilt is because we struggle with how to talk about our sin. Now, this psalm is primarily about confessing our sins to God and Him forgiving us, but I think there's an added a moment where we can stop here and talk about our sins with each other. Because we have this hang-up, I think, of talking about sins to each other, confessing our sins to each other. Our New Testaments tell us that we should be doing this, and James, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Now, it's interesting. We all know that each of us are sinners, that's something I think we readily accept, but we really struggle with the idea of others knowing our sins. And those are two different things. We don't want to know each other's sins. I mean, I don't want you to necessarily know my sins, and you don't want me to know yours. It's a barrier that we try and put up there to just feel a little bit safer. And it, now I'm not saying that we need to publicly confess every sin that we commit, I'm not saying we need to wear our failures like a badge and just, hi, I'm Nathan, I have this problem, right? That's not what I'm saying that we need. But I think that there should be a willingness for us to talk about our sins. That maybe we shouldn't hide our sins as much as we do. You know, I've seen this benefit a friend of mine. She had made a series of mistakes. Uh, she was living in a relationship with a man she wasn't married to. 
she had been drinking and she had been living in a life that just, it wasn't what God had hoped for her. And she knew she was wrong. You know, some people came to her and told her that she needed to change and that she took it to heart. Now, she didn't just keep it to herself. That's not the way she handles things. She went to the church and came forward and asked for prayers. You know, not everyone needs to come forward in every situation for all their prayers, but it was important to her that she made it publicly known that she was sorry for what she had done. And when she repented, she really repented. We learned so much as a church from watching her remove the sin from her life and come back to being what she should be. Because it changed her life. It didn't just impact her, but she also encouraged everyone in the church and showed them her desire to be right with God. And it was an encouraging thing, a, a teaching moment for all of us that a new Christian had showed us. So I think we need to think about ourselves and how we talk about our sins. Because it comes down to, I think the temptation that holds us back from this is pride. Pride is what holds us back from talking about our sins. We care too much about people thinking less of us. We think our reputation might be damaged if we share some vulnerability about what is wrong in our lives. But in reality, there's a great blessing in sharing with the body of Christ what we need help in. Because we're here to help each other in that. To be strengthening for one another. And we can help each other overcome our temptations and sins if we share with each other that desire to be forgiven. And sharing with the church our, our struggles, our sins, our temptations can be a great blessing. But as I mentioned, that's not what our psalm's about because there's a greater blessing even still. And that is we can share our temptations, our sins, our desire to be forgiven with our great God. And he is there, ready to hear us. Because sin is corrosive. It eats away at us. It causes us to hurt. And it has a way of grabbing on. The longer it is a part of us, the harder it is to get out. So we need forgiveness so that we can grow in our place with God. So David gives us a glimpse into what this forgiveness looks like. And that's verses 5 through 7. <clears throat> Verse 5 especially is... Uh, amazing. David talks about what he did to take his sins to the Lord. You'll notice there are four parts here. He acknowledges his sin. He does not cover his sin. He confesses his sin, and then God responds, he forgave my iniquity. Do you see, a, I, I think I see an escalating nature here in this verse. It starts with acknowledgement. You know, Many will acknowledge their sin. I, I am a sinner. I have sinned. And we kind of, that's kind of the baseline, I think, for how we approach sin in our lives. You know, we can speak generally, not in any specifics about sin. And acknowledgement doesn't necessarily carry with it a change in heart. It doesn't necessarily take with it that we have given up a sin. But an acknowledgement is there. You know, we're often tempted to live in denial. We think that we are spiritually strong, or we want to think that we are spiritually strong, even if we have sin in our lives that we haven't answered for. And that's a problem. No one else can tell, we think, if we're living godly lives or not, because our sins are hidden. So we are tempted to pretend. We're tempted to say that we're okay, that we're good when we are hiding our sins. So David shows us here, he starts by acknowledging his sins. 
And he continues by not covering his sins. He kind of flips it and says it in the other way. There's a temptation we already talked about here to hide our sin that David knows what this is like. He went to extraordinary lengths to hide his sin with Bathsheba. You know, we may not have the power to hide our sin like David did there, but we might have the desire to hide our sin like David did there. That we really do not want to be found out for what we have done. So David here is finding himself revealing his sins to God. And you know, it's interesting because God sees sins even when we don't want him to. Even when they are covered, right? So this is not really about showing God something he didn't already know. This is about being willing to be exposed to our God. And this is a painful moment. It's not easy to bring into the open our darkest and our lowest moments. But it is a necessary part of seeking forgiveness. We can't hide the things that we're trying to be forgiven for. How would that work? You're asking someone, will you forgive me for the wrong I did you? And they said, what wrong? So, oh, I won't tell you. That forgiveness isn't coming anytime soon. There needs to be a, a moment where we make our sins known for forgiveness to work. Proverbs 28 and verse 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not press, prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You may have noticed here in verse 5 that a word has been repeated from earlier in the psalm. I do not cover my iniquities. Back in verse 1, blessed is the man whose sin is covered. I think that's significant. It's the same word used in both places, but who's doing the covering? We see that we can't cover our own sins. Those sins will remain if we try and cover those. They will be there under the surface. But God can cover those sins. God can take those sins, remove them, and wipe them away. God can remove guilt. Only he can remove our sins. And so David is willing to put his sins out in the open. And then David finishes his part of the verse by confessing. So when his sin is before God, there is nothing left to do but confess. Now, at least for the godly, right? If you're hard-hearted, this is a moment for you to run away and fall, go into more sin and to refuse to repent before God. But David chooses this moment to confess. He chooses this moment to come before God and to say that he wants to be better. You know, I want to live a life that confesses sin, not protects sin. I think this is the point that David wants us to get to, where sin is admitted, shown, and there is a change of heart. There are a lot of reasons that David is a man after God's own heart, and this is one of the ways he shows it. He wants more than anything else to be in a right relationship with God. He wants to be closer to God, and so should we. What better goal can we have than to be close to God? The best thing that we can do to grow closer to God is to confess our sins to Him. Which leads to the great line, the great blessing of this psalm, the last line of verse 5, You forgave the iniquity of my sin. God is acting here. It isn't confessing that's the blessing. I think there is some catharsis to confessing our sins. But that's not the goal. The goal is we want to be forgiven and when we confess our sins to God, He is willing and able to forgive us of what we have done. And that is verses 6 and 7. 
Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time where you may be found. So first, let's notice that forgiveness is not something that everyone seeks. It's the godly that look for it. It's the godly that try so hard to be right with God. They are the ones that are looking for it. And the way that is forgiveness is found is always the same. You don't find forgiveness in any number of places. You find it by going to God himself. He is the source of forgiveness. He is the way forgiveness is found. And we have to be able to go to him. So David wants everyone to learn from him and his mistakes and his time where sin was keeping him from God and to approach him asking for forgiveness. So offer a prayer to him when he may be found. So this may raise a question in your mind. Is there a time where God can't be found? If this is what it's saying, offer a prayer when he may be found. This psalm is not limiting God's forgiveness and the timing of God's forgiveness, but instead is warning us, emphasizing the deceitfulness of our hearts and of sin. We can easily let our moment of humility where we see our sin, we feel our guilt, we can let that moment pass without ever repenting. That moment can slip us by and we can miss our opportunity. Not because God isn't willing to hear us, but because we aren't willing to say it. We need to confess our sins while we are willing. Because sin can trick us into giving up our willingness to repent. So David paints a picture here for this in verses uh, 6 and 7. Surely in a rush of great waters they shall not reach him. A flood of great waters is a picture. The waters are piling up before David. The pressure of sin is surrounding him. But God has protected him from it. He has kept him dry from the waters surrounding him on all sides. In a way he has parted the waters as he has done for Israel so many times. David is protected by God. And he continues to paint that picture in verse 7. That God is not a punisher of the repentant sinner. He is a hiding place. He is a protector. He is a deliverer. That is what God has in store for those who come to him asking for forgiveness. God wants us to come and have a relationship with him. Removing sin from our lives is one of the greatest blessings that we can ever take part in. God is great, and he loves us so much that he is willing to forgive us. And so David finishes the psalm by talking about the blessings of being forgiven. And that's verses 8 through 11. Because God doesn't just forgive in this psalm. There's more that God does for us. God could have stopped there. He could have forgiven, and that would have been it, and we would have been greatly blessed. But God continues in verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. God doesn't just forgive. He teaches us to do better. He shows us the way that we should go. He shows us how much we should do. I like the way he says it. I will keep my eye on you almost. God doesn't just teach us and leave us to our own devices to try and figure out. God's with us and watches us. He's showing us the way and going with us to make sure we know who he is. This shows us yet again how patient our God is. He loves us and he wants the best for us. 
But in verse 9, he gives a warning for us here too. Don't be stubborn like a horse or a mule, waiting for the bit and bridle to tell you exactly which way to go, you know, waiting for the, the rider to tell you to go a different direction. But wait. But follow the Lord as he's teaching you. Don't fight everything that you are asked to do. The lesson God wants us to learn is to humbly go with him as his people. You know, this is a challenge for us. That sometimes we stubbornly are following our passions. But we can't do that anymore. We have to instead align ourselves with God's will so that we can be pleasing to him. You know, that stubbornness is often a reason we fail in sin continually. We think that we don't need to change anything in our lives and sin will just kind of go away on its own. We think that maybe it, it just takes time and sin will fall off. Or maybe we just don't really want the sin to leave in the first place. Don't be stubborn like the horse or the mule, only going when forced. But we need to be willing to go with God. He has shown us the way that we should go and he will lead us. And so that takes us to the results of the psalm. And that's verses 10 and 11. There is joy in the Lord's forgiveness. The wicked live a life of sorrow on the earth because of their sins. They can't answer for their guilt. There is this hollowness to the life that they lead. It is not lasting. It is not good. But the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. There's a different fate for the one who has been forgiven by God. They are wrapped up in the love of God. They are surrounded by the love of God. They are brought close by the love of God. That is what the picture is for us who seek the forgiveness of God. And of course, with David, all of this leads to praise of verse 11. The glory goes to God at this point because what else can we do when we are so forgiven, when mercy has been extended to us sinners? This is the song of the righteous, the song of the upright, not because that they are special or better, but because God has made them pure. He has removed their sins. This is what God is willing to do for us. Don't you want to be forgiven? Our God is a God of grace, a God of forgiveness. I want to join with David singing the song, shouting for joy, glad in the Lord. That is what I want for us as the people of God. So maybe you've got sin in your life. It doesn't matter what that sin is. I promise you, your life will be better when it's gone. There is no better outcome than to be forgiven, to have a relationship with him because he is a God of grace. So my exhortation this morning is simple. Seek the Lord when he may be found. If this is a moment where your guilt is apparent before you, if this is a moment where you are feeling your sin, use that moment. This is the time where God is asking you to repent, to come back and to be changed into his image. If that guilty moment sounds like where you are, I hope this psalm helps you to see your need for God's forgiveness. And for when we are forgiven, we can look at this psalm as a great blessing, the greatest blessing that we have, that our sins are removed and that we have a truly blessed relationship with God. We know we can live because we have a God who loves us and forgives us. So to encourage us to seek the forgiveness of God, we're going to sing a song together. So let's stand as we sing.